Thank you, Andrew. How's everybody doing? Good. We get to talk about gender today. This will be uh, f- interesting uh, and fun, and I think the Lord will meet us here. So my name's Josh. I'm the pastor here. Welcome. If it's your first time, we're really glad you're here. If you've been coming and you've been had a hard time finding a seat, we get that. Our team is kind of working behind the scenes preparing for a second service, which at the earliest would happen maybe in October. So just know that it's not always going to be this cramp. But thank you for being here. It's super fun to have a full room to teach to about this countercultural conviction stuff that redemption is going through. So the backdrop of this is simply we believe that the church is meant to be in the world but not of the world. That means that we're going to face all these cultural issues that we sort of have to do business with and figure out. And today we hit on gender. And I remember the first time my kids, I have four boys, I give at least one story every sermon of one of the boys or all four of the boys. Um, the first time they encountered transgender, they watch an American Ninja Warrior and the backstory is a person who transitioned from female to male and they were in their playroom, they're like, dad, and they just had no category to place what they were watching. Now here's the reality in this room. I, I'm well aware we're not all on the same page with this. And that's fine. That really is fine. Let, let's start a conversation here in the church as we walk through this stuff. But as I teach my kids, I sort of have a few options on what sort of category to put this stuff. I put a few. I could say this is good, and we should affirm this, and we should be for this. We could say, oh, it's abnormal. It's sort of, uh, as you think about disabilities, we just watched the Paralympics. Like, this is not the way God would want it, but no sort of moral judgment on it. One day this will all be made right. Or this is abnormal and this is wrong morally. Now here's what I know. We all have to have a worldview that sort of we place everything within. And we all have to place this stuff in certain categories. Some of us have thought about this a lot. My guess is more and more in this room, we haven't put that much thought into it. Either because A, the gender has never been a thing that you wrestled with yourself. You haven't interacted with it socially. But we have to sort of place this in a category, in a worldview. And I think traditional apologetics, so sort of the older crowd in the room would say, apologetics is what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong. Today, as the younger generation comes up, and a lot of you in the room, it's more so what is beautiful and what actually matters to me. And both of those intersect to create what our worldview is. What is true, what is good, what is beautiful. As we talk about gender and all the options on the table now, is what we're seeing true, good, and beautiful? Or as Christians, Bible-believing people, do we need to figure out another way to categorize this? So what's your worldview? What do you think is true, good, and beautiful plays in this conversation? And again, I am well aware we're not all on the same page. My wife asked me, What are you nervous about as you teach this? And I don't know about nervous, just awareness of so many different backstories in here. And I'm just now getting to know a lot of you. Like this isn't a family member I've known for a long time. This is a pretty new family. So this is a new, this is like an intense conversation on date two. Like you're at Applebee's chilling, (laughs) eating orange chicken. And she's like, oh, by the way, Trump or Biden. You're like, whoa, we went there. That was quick. But the other thing I'm aware of, this affects how we love actual people. The church I came from had multiple families who, with adult children who had transitioned, trying to navigate how to love them. There was a friend of mine that was a nurse, or his wife was a nurse, post-op in gender transitions here in Phoenix. 
Christian trying to figure out, okay, what does it mean for me to be a faithful Jesus follower in this setting that God's placed me? And then just the policy question. Like, there's a thousand policy questions, and I'm not going to answer them all today. But there's a lot, like, swirling around. So here's how I'm going to go at this. Two questions. The first is, what cultural stories got us to this moment? And then what, how does gender actually fit into God's story? So all these cultural stories have created the space we sit in right now. But as Christians, as people who believe this to be true and affirm what this says, even if it's still confusing or it kind of sits with us wrong, we're going to say, well, what does God say about all this? So I want to pray and just ask God to kind of quiet our hearts and make us all more teachable than maybe when we walked in. God, as I read this morning in Psalms, you instruct the righteous. That's all we want is to be instructed by you, the righteous one in a way that leads us into more righteousness. So block out anything that's not that. I pray that we would hear loudly your words, your conviction, your spirit speaking to us today. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's what's confusing, is there's a lot of definitions. So I just want to show you kind of, let's start with some definitions. Sex, gender, gender identity, gender role, transgender, intersex, among other non-binary like, I've read, I've read a lot of books. I spent most of my summer vacation sitting on the beach reading books about gender, gender dysphoria, transgenderism, all this, just in preparation for this. And there's a thousand definitions we could tackle. I don't want to tackle them all, but I just want to give you an idea. So sex, when we talk about sex, that's the biological reality of being male or female. It's the parts, it's the chromosome, Y or not, not, not a Y, it's male or female by birth. Gender is the psychological, social, and cultural reality of being male or female. You're like, that's, that's, hmm. Gender identity is now the psychological aspects that you experience of being male and female. So now identity, you see it, it gets very hard to follow. Gender role is the social and cultural aspects of being male and female. What's it mean to be a man? Do you grunt a lot? Is that manhood? What's it mean to be a woman? And then transgender is an umbrella term for the various ways some people experience incongruence between their biological sex and their gender, gender identity. So even that, an umbrella term just tells you, like, there's so many words we kind of throw in there. And then intersex is somebody who possesses both male and female biological traits. Here's what I read, one of uh, 16 or so medical conditions where this possible, either dealing with the chromosomes or the actual anatomy, interior or exterior anatomy, where people are born with male and female parts. Kind of old school world would be hermaphrodite. We don't use that anymore. That's offensive. Intersex is sort of the medical way we talk about this. Just so you know, I'm not a doctor. I took high school biology, and then I was done with science. My wife and I took a natural family planning class, and they gave me a female anatomy test, and I failed it miserably. <laughs> Got one out of 19. So I'm not the guy to, like, walk us through this. I want to say, here's what we're landing on, sex and gender. So sex is the biological reality of male-female. Gender, the psychological, social, and cultural reality of being male and female. And I'm going to use those words sort of interchangeably. Sex and gender. I'm just going to talk about male female. Here's what I'm not talking about today, just to set expectations. Gender roles in much depth at all. Like, I'm not here to make you men more manly or you women more feminine. 
I'll, talk, I'll hit on it because it's part of the biblical narrative. I'm not going to talk about sexuality. That's next week. Come back next week. We'll talk about sex and how that plays into this. And then I'm not going to really navigate all the cultural dynamics that we currently face, meaning you're not going to walk out of here with an FAQ sheet of how to handle transgender issues in the workplace, in the home, in the school. I would love that, but that's not how God set this up. Spirit and wisdom is what he wants us to press into, standing on his word. So that's what we are doing today. We're going to talk about gender and how we should understand it in this cultural moment. We good? We ready to talk? So here's the first question. What cultural stories got us here? Like as we look at Phoenix, it's this booming city in the middle of the desert. What's the backstory? How did Phoenix get to be Phoenix? You could tie in a bunch of little things. You could tie this huge narrative, but really you can kind of narrow it down to a few things. The canal system, we figured out how to get water to this godforsaken land. (laughs) And then the AC unit, especially in residential homes, became affordable in the 50s and 60s. Those two happened, boom, Phoenix. How did we get to this place where the transgender discussion is where it is? Like one guy that I'm going to mention talks about how do we get to the point where somebody's saying, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body has become normative. Like something that more and more younger people being grown up in this society would say, yeah, that's good for you. How did we get here? And here's how I'm going to do it. Not to like puff up on my reading because one of these books I didn't actually fully read. But just (laughs) I'm going to walk through some books. So here's the four books I want to just use to get us to this cultural moment. So Charles Taylor, A Secular Age, is this really thick, intense book. He's a Catholic philosopher. It's a famous book. James K. A. Smith wrote a summary book because that book's so hard to read. Bryce Hill said anybody that reads that, he'll buy steak for. So if you read Charles Taylor, A Secular Age, you get a free steak dinner from Bryce Hill. <laughs> the other one is The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. That's a modern girl, Carl Truman, a British guy, philosopher, Christian, sort of apologetics guy. Love Thy Body is a very recent book, so good, by a lady named Nancy Piercy. She's a professor in Houston. And then this last book I just read on the beach, Alex Chino, it's a book for children telling the transgender story of a person named George who transitions to a woman. So how did these get us to this moment? Because here's, here's my fear. Well, it was the 60s. Those dang hippies screwed it all up. The sexual revolution kicked in, and now we're here. Or more modern, it's the political party that you disagree with. It's their fault. Obviously. Like, this is a centuries and centuries of cultural water and current that have created this moment here. It's not a Democrat-Republican thing, a 60s party-too-hard thing. It's a, the mindset of the entire world, especially the Western world, has been changed and altered. So go to the next slide. I'm going to walk us through kind of how, what this means. Charles Taylor basically says this. We used to live in the world where religion was assumed. Everybody was religious. He would use the word transcendence or sacred. Everybody assumed religion. And then that starts to get pushed out through some good things. Individualism, Martin Luther, the Reformation. The individual starts to take on more of a hierarchy in the way of thinking. And transcendence gets pushed out. And then Charles Taylor would say, now we live in a world where religion is the minority and you have to choose it. And it's not a given. So sacred is gone. And then rise and triumph of the modern self, Carl Truman Month. The mind is now sacred. And so, so in that void where it used to be religion, transcendence, the gods, eternity, all that, that's gone. What's going to rise up and be the supreme thing? He says the human mind. And he has lots of things to say about therapy and all the effects of the human mind is now supreme. 
Meaning the gods don't exist out there. This is all I need, my brain. And then what does that do now to our day? Nancy would say the body is part of the secular world and it's subordinate. And the mind gets to tell the body what it is. Transcendence gone, mind is king, mind is king over everything, even it's turned itself inward and said, I'm the boss of even this thing that I reside in. Which is just fascinating, but that's where we're at. To where we get to George, where anybody can say, I think I'm this, and we, yes, you are. Why? Because the mind is supreme. So this is not a transgender or sexuality uh, specific issue. This is a cultural issue. This is why relationships are pretty terrible because we're all a bunch of individualists and it's my mind is supreme. We don't sit under any sort of overarching authority anymore. We're all our own gods, our brains are king, and now we all got a bunch of little kings running around bumping into each other like a bunch of knuckleheads. That's where we're at. And now we sit here in this moment like, all right, thanks for the very cheap history lesson. I'm not going to read those books, but we sit here. Here's two more books just to kind of, So Preston Sprinkle on the left is a Christian guy. He kind of lives in the space of all these sort of controversial issues for Christianity, trying to navigate them. It's a book, really good book, Embody, trying to, okay, what's the Christian response to this transgender reality? And then the one on the right, not a believer, Abigail Schreier, she's just a kind of a progressive lady, and she's like, whoa, this has gotten out of hand. And she writes a book especially saying, it's like destroying our young people, especially our young women. And you got this sort of rapid onset gender dysphoria stuff where this stuff just takes over like a forest fire. And like before anyone can make sense of what's going on, you got all these young people switching genders, wanting to switch genders. And you got more and more parents that are giving a thumbs up, more and more medical professions saying, go for it. Not on the same page theologically, faith-wise. Both trying to navigate this world. This world where George can become Melissa and we have to go along with it. So like... Babe, what are you nervous about teaching this? That's what. <laughs> and we got a lot of counselors and therapists in the room. I know that. It's, this is a real deal. We got a lot of parents of young people. Like, how do we walk forward into this reality? We used to live in a world that religion was assumed and there was authority, and now it's all switched, and this sexuality, gender thing is a part of that reality and we have to navigate it so now here's the question how does gender fit into God's story that's the cultural sort of framework landscape that's what we're in how do we walk into it last week I talked about a few options fortification we could build up walls say I don't want to deal with it like mental walls like I'm not even going to expose myself to that. I'm going to kind of hide myself from all that I don't ugh. You got accommodation. You sort of let the world dictate the conversation and the world kind of, and you're just going to let the world sort of create the conversation for us. You got domination. I'm going to end this either politically or through a grassroots efforts. We have to tear this thing down. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And there's nuggets of truth in each of those of protection against bad, of letting the world sort of set the context and also for fixing what's wrong. How do we walk into this? I'm going to say what I said last week. We're going to be incarnational, follow the way of Jesus to the best of our ability. But just a reminder, here's the cultural landscape. I kind of summarize it this way. 
the current cultural moment says you are whatever you think you are and feel you are. And this is not, like I said, relegated simply to transgender. We're all like this. Our minds have way too much power over ourselves. And then the gospel, she is, you are created by God to be what he intended. Culture says you can be whatever you think and feel. Gospel says, no, God created you to be a certain way. And just to sort of picture, again, I don't want those of you who kind of are antsy and fired up quickly, just take a deep breath. I'm going to show you something, not to scare us or freak us out, but just to kind of walk into this culture a little bit more, kind of get our toes out there. So here's a gender unicorn that some school districts are using. It's a hot-button political issue. But as they walk kids through gender sexuality, what's your gender identity? So what do you feel inside? Gender expression, what do you express externally for the world? What's your sex assigned at birth? Who are you physically attracted to? And who are you emotionally attracted to? And now people have to figure out at younger and young ages all this stuff. Why? Because you are what you feel you are. So the most important thing is to get people to understand what they feel about themselves. And that's supreme. That's the world we sit in. You are whatever you feel you are. As opposed to God created us to be a certain way. And that's good news. So we're going to look at this passage now and just kind of let God's story shape this for us. So let's look at Matthew 19. Andrew did a good job reading it. Let me read it here just to kind of re-enter into this discussion, which is not about transgender and gender issues necessarily, but Jesus provides helpful truth for us. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, well, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Jesus, always the truthful one, because your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Meaning there's a creational better way to do this. But we live in a world that's not the creational Genesis 1 and 2. Um. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Verse 10, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Meaning, I don't, that's an intense bar because they're used to this sort of wishy-washy where the guys especially could bow out of marriage without much reason. And Jesus is like ratcheting it back up to Genesis 1 and 2. And they're like, that's intense. And then Jesus sort of, brings it back into this broken world, and he says, verse 11, but he said, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. So again, Jesus is not confronted with a transgender gender question. 
But what he says is very, very helpful for our conversation. He's hit with a question about marriage, and what does he do? He sort of re-narrates the story the way God would want to re-narrate. So the first thing I see is creation. He affirms God's good creation. We are to affirm God's good creation as believers, as Bible-believing Jesus followers. Where does he say, have you not read, verse 4, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and made them female? I think this is helpful because especially today as you navigate conversations, a lot of people in the sexuality discussions or gender would say, well, Jesus never said it. You guys keep going back to this old school law, Genesis or Leviticus or Deuteronomy, all these things I don't care about. This here Jesus is saying, have you not read, which is hilarious because he's talking to teachers of the law, a room full of teachers. Have you not, do you guys not know this? God created them male and female. So Jesus affirms the creational good. And as I've been pondering this, he even affirms the creational good in his incarnation. He incarnates into one of the genders that he created. God comes to earth. He does not create a sort of third new gender or human reality. He picks one of the binary options that he created. And not to say, well, this one's better, but to limit himself. He set aside his kingly glory and goodness and all this to come down to earth. Fully God, fully man, he chose to be in a male body, which he's still in and will be for eternity. When we give Jesus a hug, he's going to be a Middle Eastern man. He's going to be shorter than most of the guys in this room because everybody's freakishly tall these days. (laughs) He's going to be a Middle Eastern man. So as Christians, how do we sort of summarize and get our minds around? God affirms the creational good, especially as it relates to gender. A few things. I just think physically. He affirms that God made male bodies and female bodies. That will be our bodies for eternity. Bodies made new, not these dusty old things, but we will be in male and female bodies. Like part of this... This cultural narrative that's behind everything is a sort of Greek way of thinking. Like the word psychology is a combination of uh, mind and soul. Greeks thought the mind was supreme. Part of why we get into our problems with our modern day theology and where we stand with the body. Hebrews, Jewish people were all about the body. Their their word for soul and body was like this integrated thing. You can't separate mind, body, soul. They are one thing in the Jewish way of thinking. Where Greeks were fine saying, my mind is supreme, my body is just a a tomb. And they had a very low view of the body. Which is what affects our thought today in this room. We will be male, we will be female. Like my kids asked me, we went to a funeral for a three-year-old friend of ours couple weeks ago, what's, what's, her, what's Zoe's age going to be in heaven? I don't know the answer to that. What's, I don't know the answer to a lot of that, but I know Zoe will be a black female in the new heavens and the new earth. How God does the rest, I don't know. But Revelation at the end, it talks about all nations, tribes, tongues, so there's an affirmation of our ethnic differences. And then creation, we are male, we are female. Jesus was resurrected into his same male resurrection body. So the bodies are good. Nancy, the book, Love Thy Body, is all about we need to love our bodies more, which seems weird because we're in this health-crazed world also. But it's all sort of derived from the mind. 
We don't like have a theological base to stand on saying, this is, this is good. My body is sacred. This is a good thing that God did. Some of you are like, eh. <laughs> so that's the physical side. What about the social side? What socially, what does it mean to be male and female? What can we as the church affirm? And this is where it gets dicey. Because you have churches standing up saying, a man does this. And lists off sort of the hobbies of that pastor. (laughs) So for us, the manliest men in this room would be into hunting. Like pulling weeds in their yard. (laughs) And wrestling with other boys. That's kind of my week to week when I'm not doing pastor stuff. But the Bible does talk about socially what it means. Now, there's a lot to be said. We're having a live event, Redemption Inside Live event, September 21st, Redemption Tempe's hosting it, but we're going to broadcast it on YouTube Live. And two of our smartest guys on staff, Josh, who's at Tempe, and Seth, who's at Gateway, have done a lot of work. And they're going to talk more about masculinity, femininity, what it means, all these roles. So I'm not going to dive in a lot, but I will say this. The Bible does say, and here's what's interesting. The two places the Bible's the Bible gives specific sort of inclinations and dispositions for the male female is in the home and then the church. And then culturally, as we go out into our work, he doesn't say a whole lot, which is fascinating. And here's what I was thinking about this morning on my prayer walk. He says stuff about the home. The man, the dad, the husband is the head of the household. But then in the church, he doesn't say all men are the heads of the church, therefore. The best men then get elevated to elder, pastor status, overseers of the local church. So this notion that men rule the world. It's like reading all these September 11th stories. There was a heroic story in a, for a female and what she did for every male story that I read. The home is to be governed, led by a headship under a man. And the church is to be governed likewise by the men who have proven themselves worthy in the home. And that's what God says. Socially, how to interact with each other. So like, I'm not going to give any 22-year-old guy in this room a thumbs up. You know what? You're the leader of this place. I want you to really, no. I'll go watch you in your apartment, see how you're like. Let's talk. And then once you get married, I'll see what you're like as the new headship of that home. But you don't, get a, you don't get a megaphone to tell the whole world how to be more manly just because you were born with certain anatomy. That's not in the Bible. He divides them, male, female, different roles. But specifically as a church, we, we over-speak a lot. And we over-insert. Like years ago, gender looked different. England, guys were wearing tights 100 years ago. Like, the Bible says little on this out of wisdom because each culture has to take this and let it sift through and shape each culture, whatever that culture looks like. And that's the last thing, it's just culturally. Paul says, don't dress in a way that makes you look like the other gender in Corinthians, which is tying into Deuteronomy, a similar passage. So there is an element of we should have separate genders, but it doesn't overspeak and say, femininity is this and masculinity is this. 
in all these specific ways. But there is creational differences. God created them male. God created them female. Specifically in the home, in the church, there are very distinct roles for each. But we as a church have to affirm God's good creational order. That's our conviction. However, I think Jesus' passage here helps us now step into like actual reality where it's a very confusing, broken world, especially in the area of sex, gender, gender dysphoria, transgender. And I just want to read his words again. Verse 12. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Takes us to our second point. I think Jesus models for us how to acknowledge sin's corruption across the board. He affirms male, female, but then he sort of turns and he says, and there's this dynamic at play that there is the reality that the world is really, really broken. Minds are broken. Bodies are broken. We live in a Genesis 3 reality, which is interesting because a lot of people will make the argument intersex, people born with both parts, are proof that there is this spectrum, that gender should be fluid because there is intersex, which is a reality, a truth, something no Christian can deny. I see that, therefore, let's make this a fluid reality. And Jesus says, no, 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 male, female, however, the world is broken and there are these sort of exceptions in the world that we have to be aware of. A eunuch was somebody castrated, usually a male, for a variety of reasons. They don't have the parts necessary to reproduce. They're sort of living not fully embodied selves in their sexual reality, in their gender reality. And Jesus says there's eunuchs who have been born that way. It's maybe not exactly intersex, but it's the closest thing to intersex that we have. There's people who have been made that way in this olden day when this was a reality. Conquered groups, eunuchs, they don't want men messing around with their women, eunuchs. And there's eunuchs who have made themselves that way for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is a difficult thing. Let him or her who can receive it, receive it. And what I learned from Jesus is just... We live in a broken world, like altogether broken, mind and body. Every part of us is broken. And we have to affirm the creational good of Genesis 1 and 2, but we have to acknowledge and sit and realize that this world is also broken. Mind and body are broken. I wrote, it's confusingly broken. Like, just a reminder, intersex is this biological issue. That is no one's fault, yet there's a part of our population that are born biologically ambiguous, ambiguous a little bit. Most of it doesn't really show up, but a lo- some of it does. And that does not mean we therefore create a fluid gender spectrum. We say, that's hard. Like... I read one book, the Preston Sprinkle book was interesting because he says, is intersex going to be the way it is in the new heavens and the new earth? He asks his sort of disabled friends the same, do you think this is how you'll be? And he says, I get both answers. Meaning, I think God used this in a way that it's going to last into the new heavens and the new earth. And as I even think about uh, being a teacher and all the students with special needs, like I can't picture them without their special needs. So to picture like that all goes away, I don't fully get how... God makes all things new, mind, body, 
soul. But we have to acknowledge, at least in this moment, there are people born biologically not fitting exactly male or female, sort of a combination. Not a third new sex, but a combination. And then we have this. We have gender dysphoria, which is internally, it doesn't match up with externally what it's supposed to. I'm a woman. Externally, I feel like a man internally, and a whole spectrum of that. And we have to acknowledge the mind is broken. I think of anorexia. People looking at themselves, who are the skinniest person in any environment, saying, that's fat. And we say, ah, just knock it off. It's like, no, anyone with any sort of medical background, like there's disorders and issues that we have to help people with. And there's gender dysphoria is a real issue. And she says there's people that it doesn't all match up like it did in Genesis 1 and 2. And then you have transgender, this whole spectrum of just whatever sort of now fits we put under the term of transgender, which includes gender dysphoria, but is not just limited to that. It's non-binary people and all sorts of things. And like with a suit, oh man, this is a lot. And we have medical professionals who devote their whole life to this, and they're just figuring this stuff out, trying to navigate this stuff. And we as a church open up our Bible and we trust that the foolishness of God is better than the wisdom of man. So we're going to rest on his wisdom here in this moment. But I just want to read something out of our membership packet. Just the, here's where redemption lands. We recognize some of our members are born with intersex condition, a biological reality, and some born with gender dysphoria, a psychological reality. Both of these are real and are very painful. If this is you, you are loved by God created with dignity, value, worth, and an invaluable part of God's world and church. And we want to walk with you, love you, and serve Jesus together with you. Amen. Amen. Jesus says there are eunuchs who have been born this way, made this way, or made themselves this way. And we as a church affirm that Jesus sees that in creation, that it's not what it was in Genesis 1 and 2. I think just a helpful thing, this is what, how I kind of think through a lot of situations as I'm navigating people. There's suffering, there's sin, and there's stewardship. And I think as you navigate this conversation, we're going to deal with a lot of people suffering. How do you talk to somebody suffering? You are gentle and lowly like Jesus was. Like people who have transitioned in a former, I think of all these young women who are now part of this craze. They've transitioned, and we meet them, and we work with them, and our coworkers, and our neighbors, and we do not come at them with, have you not read? God created them. There's a gentle disposition towards the sufferer that we only learn from Jesus. None of us are innately that way. But we also have sinners, people who willfully reject us. And again, like we said last week, the world is going to do what the world's going to do. But in the church, we have a standard we uphold. And as we disciple in our homes and raise young people, we have boundaries we set on stuff. And we call stuff sin when it's sin. And then you got the sort of, this is the confused. And I don't know what, I think they're mostly in the suffering. Like, I'm just confused. The, maybe I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I've been hearing this one thing this whole, my whole life, that just be open and tolerant and loving of all people. And now I'm entering this church which says they have the, 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 the banner of love and they know the person of love, Jesus Christ. And now they're telling me more, way more restrictive things than I've ever heard. And we provide clarity with grace and truth. And then you got all sort of activists, and I don't know the answer to all that. Virtue signaling, 
I think it's a lot of prayer and a lot of wisdom. Like I said, I'm not going to land on the FAQ and get us all out of here perfectly set up to succeed. But the Bible says creation's good, and now we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world, and it messes up all parts of us. But we're going to love people right where they're at. Like I think of pronouns. What pronouns do you use? There's Christians who have great arguments on both sides. It's even in our membership packet. Bathroom policies. Luckily here at this church, they're all intersex. We don't have to deal with that. But that's a reality. Sleeping spaces, young people sleeping over it. And then you got gender-specific competitions. Like I could go on and on in sports. Like if you're in a space to make a difference for good, pray and do your best. But this is, we want to be loving, Jesus-like people, which takes us to our last point. Third, we are to be a gospel people who have received news that we are to pass on to everyone. Verse 11, he said to them, not everyone can receive this. What? The invitation into the kingdom of God, saying, but only to those to whom it is given for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. We are a gospel people. We did not work our way up to God's favor. We received good news. And here's where I want to end. Why is this good news? Why, if you're struggling with this, if you're gender dysphoria, if you're transgender, why would you want to receive something that seems way more restrictive than the reality you currently live in? Why is that good news? That book, George, is fascinating. George is a young man who feels like a girl his whole life. At the very end, he plays Charlotte in Charlotte's Wet. And he makes the point. She makes the point. I've never felt more alive than I do in this moment. Does the gospel give a better worldview than that? Or is the ceiling of our thought is whatever our minds can think of to put labels on ourselves? Like I, the first day of school with my kids, I said, got some labels on the ki- kitchen table, and I said, what are you going to be labeled as as you go off to school? Short, big-headed, yep, I was the same. <laughs> gay, people call you gay already, okay. And like we live in a world where we think our mind is the most set up to properly label ourselves, and that is a lie. Jesus can do far more abundantly beyond whatever we ask or think or pray if we receive it. If we say, you be the label maker, you are the creator, I will live as you intended me to live. That's good news that we have a creator who is all good, all loving, all perfect, who wants to tell us how life actually works. But church, I want us just to remember that is very hard news to receive. If all those cultural stories are true and we relive them a moment where whatever I think I am is supreme, this notion that we are going to enter into a kingdom that is ruled by someone other than our mind is hard to receive. And I just want us to remember what it's going to be like for certain people to receive the good news of the kingdom of God. Like, I don't have a category to try to... Understand the transgender experience. Gender is just something I assume. I live in the gender I've been given. It's never been any, any bit of an issue in my life, personally. And yet there's people with far different stories who you're interacting with who are going to come to this church at some point and we're going to tell them God has a different way. And Jesus says, let him who can receive this, receive this. 
It's a hard news. So I don't take that to say, let's be a little softer and weaker and more meek. But let's be loving people. What would it look like to walk in the shoes of people when we give them the gospel that we're asking them to receive? What would repentance look like in the life of certain people who have made choices in this area of gender and have been living in a reality far different than the one Genesis 1 and 2 gives us? It's going to... Like, people ask me specific questions. What happens if a transgender person who transitioned last year comes to your church? What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm going to give them the gospel. I'm going to pray that they receive it. And then we're, as a church, going to walk with these people on what it means to actually live in light of the truth of the gospel in his kingdom, where we no longer have to label ourselves, but we can let him label us. God created the male and female, but it's all messed up now. Let him who can receive it, let her who can receive it. We have received it. Now it's our job to pass it on in love and grace as we counter culture together. Let's pray together. Jesus, the fact that you took this conversation in this moment with these Pharisees and addressed just an area of sensitivity and vulnerability for a certain sect of people just shows how much more you are aware of everyone in every situation than I could ever dream to be, than any of us could ever dream to be. You are fully aware of the pain, of the hurt, of the sin, of the rebellion, everything going on in everybody. So thank you for writing, having that written down so we could see that we are to affirm God's good creation. We're to be wise and gentle and loving and convicted as we walk in a world that is now broken in every possible way. And God, just help us. A lot of us, this is maybe still theory. Some of us, this is a very acute reality, either in our own life or in the lives of people we deeply love. So God, the only hope we have as a church is the truth given to us in your word and the wisdom and power only given by your spirit. Let us hold fast to your word and let us depend mightily on your spirit. Jesus, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.